Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Season 2, Episode 5, Get on the Record. Hello, everyone. I hope you are well today. I want to begin to explore and have us think about the power of receiving and chronicling information as part of trauma healing. It was around this time in the story, my story, Archer's story, I don't know, both of our stories, it's hard to say, but after Archer's heart attack back in 2015, that a few of my friends sent me text messages encouraging me to write things down. And there were various reasons, namely to keep staff on their toes and to be able to reference what various medical staff were doing and saying, and I found that to be true. But I realized how much I had a need for information to help me make sense of things as my mind wandered and raced and to help me settle, feel like I was on solid ground again. And I also realized I needed to write everything down. There was just too much going on for me to ever remember it in full. And I knew it. Even then, there was no way I could remember it all. And there was a deeper layer of why it was important to me too. Archer, he had no use of his arms or hands to write anything down for himself or to make some notes or to send any type of communication to anyone. And he didn't even have a voice anymore, literally. He was so out of it a great deal of time on so many narcotics, he may not ever know what happened to him. I thought he'd want to know, someday, what happened to him, especially if he wanted to make sense of things for himself. I was always thinking of someday. It may have been foolish, but I was. I don't think it was foolish. I hope you don't either, if you are bedside to your loved one. Someone had to hold a dream for Archer. When he was coherent, he had the blinks of his eyes. And I had my thumb and my smartphone. And so I wrote things down as they happened. I kept others informed so they could stay connected to us. I knew that without my sharing information and keeping friends and family in the loop, we might fade into the background of their lives and might not make it to their prayer intentions. So I kept them apprised. 
I only wish the medical staff and administration would have kept me apprised. But I had heard nothing, even after making many requests for a meeting to discuss what happened to Archer. I felt that we were fading from their front screen, or were they wishing we would? I was so in need of information. I was confused, and I knew something just didn't make sense. But you know what? I still trusted the hospital staff so much. I wonder if you would have too. I mean, we trust that when we're in a hospital, they'll take care of us and help us heal and recover. What didn't make sense to me the most was why they weren't talking to me. Why weren't they talking to me? While I was talking with so many others outside the hospital room, and I needed them desperately, I also needed to talk with the medical staff in the hospital. They held a key to my integration too, as I now see much more clearly in the look back. Yes, information. It's a vital resource for thawing what has gone numb, for unlodging what is stuck, and for unlocking what might get buried away for years that we might wonder about from time to time, even haunted by from time to time, but no one's taking the time to give the information. Or perhaps it is that no one is taking the time to ask and dig. Well, I was asking and I wanted to dig. Why did that happen? And I was writing and asking as well. And I wanted a response. I think a part of the integration needed for each one of us when we are on the journey of trauma healing is a feeling and internalized belief that I exist and I matter. Whether I was going to get a response from the hospital or not, I think that writing itself furthered the experience of integration. When we write, we get on the record, if you will, even if it's the private page of your journal notebook, you are on the record. And I think that in trauma, this is incredibly valuable because we can often feel lost and writing confirms you exist when you might not feel that you do at times. It was like that for me. Well, on this day in particular, I was writing all day long. Writing in real time as things happen also helps you to stay grounded, especially when you think you might be going crazy. And I think writing allows other parts of you to come alive and exist 
on the page too. When you're most afraid or uncertain, I would encourage you to write your thoughts, your fears. Writing certainly helped me. Writing also helps you get clear, and it does give you a record. And if you feel that others cannot understand or hear you, the pages hear you, and they listen and absorb your story as fully as you are willing to tell it. For those of you who have written to me and told me how you are now writing your story for the first time, or writing your own story in a new way as it was, keep doing so. I love it when you write me. Others of you can do the same at Louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com. I will respond to all of you who write me. It might take some time, but I will. Keep writing. It's all part of our collective journey to listen to each other, to feel each other, and to heal. And it gives you valuable information. Yeah, information, that's another part of the healing process that I will address in the companion Trauma Healing Learnings, Episode 5, Get on the Record. If you haven't written your story, or even a page, about something in your past that is significant, I encourage you to just do it. Just let it flow. What matters? Unfiltered. I did, especially this day in the story. Okay, on that note, here we go. Back to August 2015. Life can change in the blink of an eye. I wrote this message to those who are texting me in the middle of the night. 3.30 a.m. Archer is really struggling with his sleep, and we are trying to help him rest every moment we can, other than the times that he must be awakened for medical care, which is very frequent. The hospital is ironically a very hard place to rest and recover because of so many people needing to test and adjust and assess and get blood, etc. Not to mention the constant alarms and buzzers going off. As you might guess, this is very hard on Archer, who is also very uncomfortable since he is on a ventilator pacemaker, food tube, and numerous other lines and devices. So we have not been allowing him any visitors except immediate family, and even then, only for a few minutes at a time. We are hopeful that he will be back in Baltimore by the end of the month. Thank you for your prayers and love for Archer and for our family. As I sat bedside watching every mechanical breath of Archer's, I remember it so clearly when the light 
of a new day cracked through the sides of the plastic shades pulled down in Archer's room, which I glimpsed through the many machines, monitors, lines, and tubes attached to Archer's body. I remember the scene so well, like it was yesterday, because I had this flash of sadness that Archer could not see the brilliant light of the new sun peeking around the edges of the shades because his bed was facing west and the window and the morning sun were behind him. And then I had this flash of an idea that it would be good for him to see the new day every day. And I wondered if I could move his bed and change its position. It was then facing the hallway. But I looked around, and it was a spaghetti mess of tubes and devices. And I remember so distinctly this far away feeling of how beautiful the light was and wondering, why are we here? Why has this happened? Although Billy had texted me hours before to please get some rest, I had sat up through the night. There was so much to take in, to think about, and to be on alert for. So much I didn't know and wanted to understand. Archer's vitals were still not strong. I watched the hand on the big school clock that hung on the bulkhead above Archer's hospital bed. I was acutely aware of the time. I was counting hours since Archer had flatlined. It had been 50 hours. It was about 5.45 a.m. in Atlantic City. Why has this happened? Here's the message I text as the dawn broke to a handful of friends, and I attached some photos I had in my phone. It is the Feast of the Assumption. Please give thanks to the Blessed Mother Mary, maybe at Mass if you can. She hears each and every request. For your prayer focus, here is a picture of Archer wearing one of his favorite colors, yellow. It's taken at Grandma Paula's 80th birthday picnic in Springfield, Illinois, just a few weeks ago, three days after Archer turned 17 and 13 days before his accident. He's hugging his Aunt Margie. Here's another picture with Brother Dewey on the road trip to Illinois the day after Archer's birthday each wearing Archer shirts, as we all know how much Archer loves style. And here's a picture in Grandma's kitchen with his cousin Alice soon after our arrival in Illinois. I remember wanting them to picture Archer as I saw him, sunny in yellow, his arms around those he loved 
and being so tender with his little cousins. I wanted everyone to imagine Archer, to see his face and hold him in that image, in that potential, to be restored to that Archer. I believe that. That if we all saw and prayed that Archer would be restored, he would be. I did believe that. As I sent those pictures out, little did I know one in particular would have an impact beyond what I could ever imagine. More on that later. I will post the pictures I sent out on the episode five page on the Blink of an Eye website. Here's the next message I sent around 9 a.m. Sunday, August 16th, 2015, part two. Families and friends back in Baltimore are gathering to make cards and rally in love to support Archer. Some pilgrims are traveling to see Archer, even though they understand it may only be for a brief, loving moment. Here are some pictures of those wonderful people. We are creating a healing sanctuary for him. Thank you. I received a call that the meeting I had been begging for with the hospital administrator would take place that morning. I called Billy to tell him. He said he would come back to the hospital, but that I should handle the meeting. What? I want you with me, I said. He said it would be better if he were not there. He seemed far away. I couldn't read him exactly. He told me he would come later and trade places with me so I could go to Mass. Dr. Tolucci stopped by and told me Archer was very fragile. As he and I backed away from Archer's bed and moved towards the hospital room entry door to talk, he again said, Archer might not turn the corner. That it was bad. And then he left. Dr. Tolucci was a large man, white, gray hair, always wore his white lab coat with Dr. Raymond Tolucci embroidered above the pocket. I liked him, but I really didn't even know what that meant. I thought it meant that he thought Archer might not get off the ventilator. When Billy arrived later that morning, I told him what Dr. Tolucci had said. And I asked Billy, do you think he meant the ventilator or something else? Billy turned and walked away and wouldn't talk about it. He seemed so far away. Whatever it meant, I believed Archer would turn the corner. I didn't think Dr. Tolucci understood the situation fully. This was Archer. It had already been a big morning, 
and I was going to miss Mass if I didn't hurry. I also hadn't taken a shower or been home in a couple days, but I planned to take care of that when I was back in Cape May. I traded places with Billy and drove down the Garden State Parkway. I don't remember anything of that drive. Here's an account of the day chronicled in a few more messages I wrote to family and friends, apparently upon my return back to the hospital. Our daughter Paula posted them all. It must have been the angels who delivered Archer from death. He has no recollection and is still not yet fully coherent. No one knows why it happened. Two days ago, the hospital made a medical error, which caused him incredible distress that took us a day to recuperate from. I need to listen even more discernibly. I went to Mass, and as I was driving back to the hospital, I had this thought that was very clear. Do not fear. Be on alert. We were not on alert enough. How that bag of blood pressure medicine, quote unquote, snuck into, as the hospital administrator said, Archer's drip bag? Who knows? It's honestly understandable when his room and body is full of so many lines and monitors and machines keeping him alive. We ask every time there is new medication to see the label. We believe it was an old bag they took him off of six days ago that a random nurse of the 23 who have been in our room since we arrived eight days ago saw hanging there and hooked up. It was ghastly, with Archer screaming with no sound and his heartbeat bouncing around from 31 to the 90s with the monitors all going off. They jammed him with a large dose of fentanyl morphine to calm him so they could figure out the problem because he wouldn't stop biting his ventilator tube, which is his only source of oxygen. And I saw then the devastation emotionally that can occur from a medical error. He was in anguish, angry, and very frightened. There was a wildness and a very far away feeling. That was a whole new matter and took many meetings with many doctors and administration. He's on a pacemaker and dopamine, which are working for now. Thank you. He's resting, and we've been told to do the same. Billy is on his way back. All is okay. God is good. We made it again. I did feel that way. We made it. Again. When I stopped writing and closed my eyes, 
I was aware that my innermost wonderings were happening again with this thought that had been sort of niggling at me all day. Why has this happened? There was a certain naivete I realized I had even then about how much I trusted the medical staff to know what was best. I was so willing to believe them and give them the benefit of every doubt. But what's wrong with that? We're supposed to be able to trust professionals and doctors and medical experts. I also found this text message that I had sent to family and friends. Hello, dear family and friends who have checked in on us and me personally and to whom I have sent Archer updates via text. I realize it is taking me too long to get my updates to you while also being at Archer's side, and I know there are better ways. In our mediation Monday, Billy and I made some decisions, and I wanted to share one with you. With some sadness, I will now send you my family updates via the, quote, Archer Updates page on www.beingrelational.com that Billy created for us and to my Facebook page and Billy's, an aspect of technology I had not yet ventured for a variety of reasons, but I will now. I have so loved the intimacy of our text communication, and I do not want to sacrifice that in any way. You have sent me so much inspiration. You'll never know, and I'll never be able to repay you. And I know it's just the beginning, and our road is long. I will look forward to hearing your voice via Facebook. Please send me a friend request so I can friend you back. Yes, it's true. I've never been on Facebook before, and I'm learning. I imagine that should give you a chuckle. Here's the update from yesterday I had yet to send you. Paula posted it for me today on beingrelational.com and on Facebook, as some of you already figured out. If you do not do Facebook or cannot get on a computer to go to the www.beingrelational.com site, please let me know. It was in the evening that I sent this message and Paula posted it. I called it Part 3, a message from Louise. Family and Friends Update Why has this happened? Some of the scripture verses you have sent me via text make me weep. As I read the passages, my eyes sting with mixed sentiments of being gently consoled, mixed with excruciating sadness. Even the tree in our Cape May backyard weeps for Archer as it sheds its leaves exactly over Archer's very loved grass croquet course 
that he kept meticulously mowed this summer, rough and all, so he and his buddies could play midnight croquet most nights. Well, 10 p.m. in the light of the early moon, with the help of a floodlight in the outdoor shower and a strategically placed lantern. I just picked up the mallets and balls that had been left littered on the course, exactly where their players were standing when the first one hit the wicket to win the last game. It struck me as so odd upon my walking out of our outdoor shower, my first morning home on day three after the accident, to see the yard covered in brown leaves. I couldn't make sense of it. Why, in the heat of early August, is this large shade tree shedding? I looked around and up and down the yards along our country-like small fields, but could see no other trees shedding their leaves. It hit me. This tree that watched Archer day and night is mourning. I joined with that tree and wept some more. I have pondered this, and on day 10 after the cardiac arrest, when I went home again to rest and shower, I was then not just left wondering, but now startled and discontented as that large shade tree itself seemed to be dying. With so many brown, dried-up leaves in her boughs, Please, dear Mother Mary, tell me they are leaves like tears of sadness and not leaves of death. Today, on day 12, after an outdoor shower, I summoned one of the kids to come and witness the most extraordinary thing. In the middle of the day, I could hear each single leaf falling, a faint little crackling sound. I swear that tree was talking to me. There were brown leaves all over the yard now in a thick blanket and the rest of the brown dried leaves, one at a time, came cascading down to join the others. And then the leaves stopped crackling and falling. All the brown leaves in the tree were gone. What was and is left in her branches is very green. It is as if she were finished weeping for now, and there is still life. I am hopeful, and I wanted to get back to the hospital to see Archer, 
It's so very hard for me to leave him. I have so much joy being with him. As I continue to search and ask God to show me the path of why this accident has happened. Happened to our Renaissance man in our cherished Cape May. In the ocean, no less. The ocean that has provided us so much peace and refreshment over the years. I know God has a plan for Archer. He must. It is my job to nurture its unfolding. Today, I hold the possibility that maybe one of the whys for this tragic accident is the opportunity we have to respond with unity, the love we can bring each other. Your outpouring of prayers for Archer, for me, for Billy and me, for our family, are being heard. Oh Lord, please bless each one of the dear people who have responded to Archer by being so kind and generous with their love and taking time to pray for us. As part of my look back, it takes my breath away. How much can change in just a day in an intensive care unit? And all I wanted was information, good information, truthful information, complete information, the truth, including what medical doctors don't know. That would have opened the door to hope. I had hope, but it would have opened the door to feeling supported in that hopefulness rather than feeling so alone in the hospital. As I write today as part of the look back, I can now articulate a need of mine that was beginning to emerge, something I yearned for. Yes, I wanted truthful and complete information, but I wanted it to be given to me by a believer, someone who believed in what was possible, believed in what could happen positively, someone who was with me, for us, and with us on the mission. Not the look back mission, but with us on the mission as it was happening in the face of no guarantees for anything and never wavering in faith for what could be. I bet you know exactly what I'm talking about. Doctors and nurses who believe like this, that would be a sea change for trauma care. This might not seem possible for many doctors to do, but I think it is if doctors only knew how much it would mean to a family member, to a parent, to a mother, 
to join with her into the feeling of fighting together for the life of a child. Fighting with them for life. That is what would build trust and change every situation, even terrible situations, into something. It's not as tragic. Here's an excerpt of an interview with Dr. Raymond Tolucci, the chief of trauma at Atlantic Care, who courageously agreed to be interviewed as we both looked back together over five years later. Even as part of our look back, I remember still reeling from the many days it took and the many requests I had made before I heard a word from anyone at Atlantic Care. When we finally had a meeting, a medical error was acknowledged. And yet the hospital administrator never used the word medical error or deviation from the standard of care. She used words like the wrong medication snuck into Archer's room. And she said they were, quote, checking their protocols because they couldn't see how it could have happened, end quote. And she said they were, quote, looking into what may have been a mix-up, end quote. Those were the kinds of words used, euphemistic words. Dr. Tolucci and I talked a bit about that. When did you have enough confidence in us that you actually began to trust what we were telling you? My confidence began to improve when I learned finally that it had been a, a medical error for what it was that was put in his drip bag. And then asking about that and not getting any information. I think you were not there that day when I got the tip from another staff member that the nurse had been you know, sent home for the policy three or four days. When I felt like I was beginning to have truth, I actually, began to have more confidence. And I was, I was um, so set back by the, what seemed at the time like a cover-up um, or why these brilliant people in trauma could not get their acts together to have figured out that something went wrong as opposed to just kind of thinking, oh, this is so unusual, it must be something about Archer. Um, once I had the real truth I, I felt restored and I, I just wanted to make sure it wouldn't happen to anybody else. And then I, and I, I became at that point realizing that I'm a part of this medical team. I need to help them so we don't have more of these kinds of mistakes because Archer was on 12 monitors at that point. And I think there were like nine drip bags. That's, that's a lot of, potential for mistakes it, yeah. just by human just the human condition of working quickly and with all kinds of things overall i mean in the complexity the nine drips the 13 monitors 
recognizing that each one has a, a, uh, a, a risk of failure. You know, it's like shooting the shuttle up to the moon. You know, you, not everything's going to go right. But the most important thing is that, you know, you accomplish the mission and you come home. I suppose so. But it felt good even five years later to be on the record, human to human, about how isolating and fracturing it felt. And I think it felt good for Dr. Tolucci to get on the record too, about how hard it is in a trauma ICU not to make mistakes with someone as complicated as Archer was. It is hard, I'm sure. I have no doubt about that. It was then around midnight when I sent my final message of the day. I suppose you could call it part three continued. Family and friends, what you are bringing to us is very powerful, very palpable. I am able to be alert and to see what I need to do to protect Archer and to create in partnership with each of you and in partnership with a medical team held in the palm of God's hand and Mother Mary's arms, a sanctuary for Archer to heal. As for Archer's state today, as Billy may have told you, we believe we are moving in a good direction, very, very slowly and tentative, but in the right direction. I still feel we are sentinels, archers, guardsmen, and warrior S's day and night, especially the night and early dawn. While he seems more delicate in face and body, I'm sure he's losing incredible weight despite the edema from the neck on down. He also seems stronger with his vitals and asked me, with the blinks of his eyes, when he could have water. A very good sign, since Archer has understood he could not have any water until he was strong enough to get off the ventilator. It may be many months before he can drink or eat anything, we are told. I know it is hard to fathom, but fathom we must. He has no feeling or movement from the neck down. It is not expected that he will. We believe differently, and we look for those in the hospital who dare to believe and have faith as we do, that it will be different for him. He will have a meaningful life. He has a meaningful life now, as you are a testament of. I think he is experiencing new strength after two very touch-and-go, truly life-and-death days, with staff on edge and no visitors. Today we devised a solution of little square sponges on wooden sticks dipped in iced water 
and Lord's water, given to Archer, which I pressed gently against the insides of the walls of his mouth, and then I suctioned out the excess water with a little suction hose the nurses showed me how to use before any of the unabsorbed water has time to travel down and be swallowed, as swallowing is something he cannot do and which can cause damage to his esophagus and vocal cords because of the large tubes that are threaded down him. The feeling of cold water, a tiny comfort. He really likes it ice cold. Same way he likes his forehead packs and his face washes. I know because of his gentle butterfly nods. Knowing this preference, when he tested high in sodium from the food tube feedings a couple days ago and they had to flush his arteries, I asked the nurses if they could be flushed with iced water. Archer liked it. Another butterfly nod. Amazing to me, even in a 46 to 50 degree room where we don white hospital blankets as shawls while Archer remains uncovered to keep his temperature below 101. He still needs a pacemaker, but not as often. They stopped the dopamine briefly and he was beating steadily on his own. While his heartbeat, even with help, remains low in the 40s BPM. He's alive and breathing. Thank you, God. While he's still on lung tubes, his oxygen saturation remains strong. His peep on the ventilator has been steady at 11 for almost 24 hours, but with one very serious scare. So we're hoping he continues progress towards eight for a tracheotomy and the physical therapy that follows. Since a day or so before his cardiac arrest, he has not tolerated at all well all the turning and percussing. We've asked staff to allow him to sleep two to three hours at a stretch without being awakened for something. When awake, He's alert and communicative for brief intervals, but seems more restless this evening. My intuition told me we needed a different room with more natural light and a different bed orientation. Since it appears we are now here for a while, I scoped for a significantly good one and requested a room change to a room across the unit I noticed, which is sunnier, and has his bed facing east, southeast. Until then, we have created a healing sanctuary in his current room. I'm trying to get his circadian rhythms reestablished with the shade up during the day and the lights out at night, with one of us watching him very closely in the darkness. My brother, Tripper, 
fixed the sliding glass door to the room which we discovered had been off the tracks. Probably not used often, actually. So we can now pull it shut behind the curtain to block out the unceasing sounds of buzzers and beeps and bells alarming 24-7. I found nature sounds, spiritual waterfalls, which we play softly on the mini jam box. And Archer likes it. His room environment can transport anyone now. Please keep praying the Our Father and the Rosary. Amen. And the originally posted time for surgery is changed. It is still tomorrow, but it is now at 9 a.m. and not 10.30 a.m. There is so much to be grateful for. I am grateful for life, for friendship, sending you so much love. I cherish each of you so much. Please know that your love and prayers are felt and returned and felt again and returned again and again. Please say a rosary for us and a special intention for tomorrow, 9 a.m. surgery for Archer. Sending you love. As we close, I want to share with you one more highlight of this day. Amidst the text messages that continue to stream in all day, there was one from a client of many years prior, Dawn Silverman. I had been her divorce mediator. It was a joy to hear from her. She told me she had gone back to school and was now a nurse practitioner. She told me about something called a vagal response. I texted her back asking what that is. I heard again from Dawn, who explained to me that something called a vagus nerve can be stimulated by coughing and suctioning in those who have low heart rate, which she called a bracardial heart. I was amazed. It was the first I had heard about anything like this. And this information was so helpful to me. Did Archer have a bracardial heart? I wondered if the constant suctioning of the recesses of Archer's lungs and his forced gagging caused a heart attack. So I texted her back. She told me transient Bradycardia is very common with cervical injuries. Why hadn't anyone talked with me about transient bradycardia? This information was like a lifeline to me. The more I knew, the more I could help Archer. The more informed my interactions could be with the doctors. And then I realized what I wanted most of all 
We're partners. Please, Lord, give the staff the wisdom to tell me what they know and don't know. I can help. We can work together. We can help Archer together and believe. It was like the shade was opened. It was new information, a crack of light in the dark. I had so much more to ask about. Yes, I felt there was an opening. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. You may continue listening to the trauma healing learnings that accompany this story at episode five, Get on the Record, Trauma Healing Learnings, this Saturday. Thank you for listening, as together we are raising the vibration for healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. For 28 years, Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue. You can learn more at baltimoremediation.com.